1: this is reception reception the
0: show yo what's cracking everybody james go matt Harmon here with you and you're listening to reception perception the show all right matt uh summer well it's officially upon us man but it just feels like summer is almost over well at least it might be for us because yeah. the nfl season is fast approaching man
1: yeah, I was talking to our podcast producer Nick uh, before we started recording. Yeah, shout out to Nick. Great job, great job on the show. Shout out yeah, to everybody absolutely. at Odyssey. He does a great job with us on the show. Um, but basically, like rookies are, I think, are reporting to a few camps tomorrow, the 18th. Crazy. You're li- you're out listening to this, you know, on the 18th. So today, but for us right now in real time, tomorrow, I think a few rookies start reporting. And yeah, dude, it feels like summer was here and then it was gone. You know, and and it'll still be summer. <laughs> But, it like, will. our summer It'll vacation is basically over uh, right. once camps get get ramping up. And, you know, we're going to have – we actually have a decent bit of news to talk about today, but, like, mm-hmm. you know, come, come a couple of weeks from now, buddy, it's going to be news, 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 uh, <laughs> training camp beat writer <laughs> propaganda, you know, uh, cell phone video <laughs> season again. is going to be Love coming it. out left and right, fast and furious. So, uh, you know, we're going to try to keep you grounded here in reality yeah, with, the, sure. with the wide receiver stuff, but, but uh, it's going to be tough.
0: Um, all right, so you mentioned it right off the top, man. Some, some news to talk about, and obviously the big news of uh, Monday anyways was the fact that New- DeAndre Hopkins, Nuke Hopkins, uh, signed with Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> and this is what I tweeted out. Nuke in Tennessee, Matt Harmon, is like these Marvel spinoffs, okay? No one wants them. No, We don't want this stuff. To- oh, it's like, oh, you love the Hulk? Guess what? You're going to get his cousin as a lawyer. It's like, no one wants this, but we're going to watch it, you know? It's like, oh, you love Captain America? We're going to get you two of his spinoff characters and have them in some, you know, blasé, blasé show. But you know what? We we don't want that, but we're going to watch it. You know what I mean? It's like, that's what Nuke is in Tennessee. No one wants this at all. But here we are. I tell you what, we're still going to watch it, though. We're still going to see what happens with DeAndre Hopkins in Tennessee. Um, look, if you if you missed our new Hopkins you know profile breakdown from earlier this summer, uh, the question remains, and a lot of folks are asking this, Matt, what does Nuke have left in the tank?
1: Yeah, uh, for one, speak for yourself when it comes to we're gonna watch it with uh, some of the Marvel <laughs> stuff. Uh, I have definitely right, been right, a little right. out of the shock, have been a little out of the loop. With uh, some of the recent Marvel p- projects, uh, you know, uh, you're not missing anything, pal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We could really go in depth on what is actually would be great to know what is and what is not worth me watching. Because I did do a rewatch of like the Infinity Saga recently, like wa- watching okay. every movie except <laughs> Ant Man too. I I didn't didn't do that. Um, but yeah, I would love to know. But that's a topic for a different time. It's not what anybody tuned in for. Um, the, on DeAndre Hopkins, yeah, you know, for one, I think that one of the things that I'm most kind of, I wouldn't say scared of, but one of the things I'm the least confident in using reception perception for is like trying to predict aging cliffs. Right. Um, We'll actually have a really interesting person to talk about it with this regard um, on the next podcast this week. So definitely, you know, make sure you tune in for that uh, because I think that'll, it will be kind of playing this out in real time with the player we're going to talk about on, on the next week, the next podcast this week, but with Hopkins, you know, cause I get a lot of this, you know, in, in my Twitter mentions and stuff, you know, people saying like, Oh, Hopkins, you know, is, is done or he's about to, he's going to be toast this year. And people will, you know, point out, well, he had a 72.2% success rate versus man coverage last year. That's still in reception perception, you know, that's still really good, which is true. Mm-hmm. He did have that last year and that is still a really good number Um, you know, the the thing is just like, is that the the beginning of a drop? Because it is 72.2% and 70.2% from 2021 is lower than the 77 and 76.5% that he did in 2019 and 2020, his last year with the Texans and his first year with the Arizona Cardinals. So it's like, I think reception perception shows that the last two years Hopkins has still been – very good. I think he's always been underrated as a separator and underrated as a route technician because he's so good in contested situations and he gets thrown into contested situations a lot because his quarterbacks right. really implicitly trust him there and I, I don't blame him. I think he's always been underrated in that regard, but I do think we've seen a little bit of a decline. You know, his zone success rates are are trending down as well. His press coverage success rates are a little lower than we saw at his peak in 2019 but I think if the Titans get the version of the of DeAndre Hopkins, who I think has game – I don't know about you. I think he's got game that should age pretty well. Yeah. I think if they get the version that the Cardinals have gotten the last two years because one narrative I would push back on is that he showed like steep decline the last couple years or he showed mm-hmm. really diminishing ability to separate. I disagree with that. But, again, it's just tough to know a player at his age, at this point in his career, are we going to see him stretch these these years out the next few years, or are we going to see a potential big drop? I'm not sure about that, but I think my big take is that if the Tennessee Titans here get DeAndre Hopkins on, what was it, a two-year, $26 million deal? We don't have all the details yet, but, you know, if that they get the player that Hopkins has been the last two years on that contract, I number one, totally understand the move, and number two, I think it would be a huge win for a Tennessee Titans offense that, I mean – that receiver depth chart was as barren (laughs) as it got prior to this. You know, obviously we'll talk about Burks here in a second, but I think this is a move they needed to make. And I kind of think it's been in the works for a while. So I get it from a Titans perspective here.
0: Uh, 96 targets, 64 receptions, 717 yards and uh, three touchdowns over nine games for Deandre Hopkins injuries. And suspensions cutting his season short. All right. So you say it makes sense for Tennessee. I I absolutely disagree um, to be 100% honest with you. I I just, to me, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. This is a move that you make, Matt Harmon, if you feel like you're close, right? I mean, look, you're doing it. They're doing this move to be competitive, right? Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying though is like, look at your roster right now. It's bad. The Mm -hmm. offense. You're, you're built around an aging uh, running back who has had, I mean, about a billion carries over his career, right? This is tough. This is tough. The offensive line I think is going to be really shaky as well. And again, outside of new Hopkins, Traylon Burks is again, uh, a developing player. I think you could say at best. Okay. They've got an aging quarterback that even in his best years, was not a game-breaking type of quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. And then, again, what, what I don't know what they've got with Will Levis and, and, and Malik Willis and all that. Stuff. So, to me, this is a team that absolutely should be trying to rebuild right now. If anything, they should be shipping. They should be shopping, Derrick Henry, seeing what you can get back. But, no, they bring in a new Hopkins. This is almost ensuring the fact that you will be in, in the mediocre hell hellscape of the NFL where you're not really contending – and you're not really tanking it either to get a high draft pick back. And and again, you could say whatever you want about these quarterbacks that they drafted over the last two years. This is a special draft class that they've got coming up in this upcoming season uh, in the NFL draft. So I would I would anticipate you want to position yourself to be in in one of those two spots. I don't know. For me, I don't understand the move for Tennessee. You're locking this guy up for potentially two years now. And again, you're, you're hitching your wagon to a running back in Derrick Henry, who's phenomenal. He showed absolutely, you know, maybe showed slight decline last year. But again, we're talking about a dude that's got a bajillion carries. He's 29 years old. None of that looks good. None of that looks good to me, Matt Harmon. And again, I'm surprised that they made this move to go get Nuke. to to be what? To be competitive? To, to to make sure that they are nine and, you know, nine and seven next year. Like, what are we talking about here? Nine and eight next year? Like, I don't know, man. Like, to me, this is a move to to basically move yourself to the middle. Of the, you go from horrible to middle of the pack. And to me, I think that's an area you just don't want to be in the NFL. I I do kind of understand what
1: you're saying from the middle of pack perspective. and And you don't really want to get kind of stuck in that range. But at the same time, I think we on the outside don't give enough credit to how miserable it is when you're at the bottom you know <laughs> uh, and and how, how pre- right
0: yeah yeah you're and, right and,
1: and I mean if you're a guy like Mike Vrabel who has in, instilled what I think is a really good culture in Tennessee and I think Mike Vrabel is clearly they just fired the old GM and brought in a new GM the one constant there is that this thing sort of revolves around Mike Vrabel but right like the one big power struggle I think or or disagreement between Mike Vrabel and John Robinson was I think Robinson wanted to reset, did want to reset the roster a little bit and, you know, did that by trading the best player on the team or at least one of the two best players on the team in AJ Brown. And, you know, Mike Vrabel was basically like letting everybody know he disagreed with that move. And, you know, a few yeah. months later, they fired the GM. So I think it's pretty clear that Vrabel's like, even with Rand on the new GM there, he's kind of in the driver's seat of this thing. They've installed a really good culture there in Tennessee that's always about competing, that's about playing hard and being physical. So I, I, the thing I would push back on your notion that, I think we would have said a lot of the same things about like the Seattle Seahawks last year. The roster looks bad, uh, you know, that, that that they're not a very good team. And they they had a veteran quarterback in Geno Smith who certainly was less proven than Ryan Tannehill. They had kind of a young guy that we didn't – we were hoping we didn't see. And I think I, – I th- you know, no disrespect to Malik Willis, but I think he kind of fits into that Drew Locke mold right now as we kind of yeah. – each- I mean, we know we probably don't want to be seeing Malik Willis <laughs> in this in this right. whole situation. I think that you look at the Titans' defense. I think they're one of the most underrated defenses in the NFL. I think yep. they've had issues at cornerbacks staying healthy. Uh, you know, maybe that's a concern again this year, but they have a pretty good defensive line with Jeffrey Simmons in the middle. The Shane Bowen, I think, is one of the more underrated defensive uh, coordinators in the NFL. I love the way they kind of play aggressive. They mix up coverages on the back end. And, you know, yeah, I think the one concern is definitely the offensive line and in kind of conjunction with that is the run game going to be as dominant as usual. Look, I think if Derek Henry runs for 1800 yards this year, I won't be surprised because he's just <laughs> been that good and been that metronomic yeah. as a runner. And I think he is built different than – like, literally is built different than other NFL running backs, not just from like a he's built different perspective. He quite literally is built different than any other NFL running back. Yeah, right. If he exactly. runs for 1,800 yards this year, I'm 0% surprised. But I think based on the history of the position, if he is out by November, he's injured or he's ineffective, I think you can't be surprised either. The one key in this here to me is the fact that put aside whatever you think about Will Levis as a prospect – I think that they're looking at this guy as, hey, he's um, a second-round pick who would be on a cost-controlled contract if he hits. And I think you could talk yourself into Will Levis fell for potential personality reasons. You know, people thought he might not be great, like kind of hard to get along with, and you know, he certainly had some up and down collegiate film. But right. I think if you if Ryan Tannehill gets hurt this year, you want to look at yourself like your Tennessee, like, hey, if we're gonna throw Will Levis out there. We, Because, number one, I don't think this team is going to be bad enough to get a top two pick in the draft, you know? And I think that's pretty shaky to bet on generally. If we're going to have to throw Will Levis out there, we're now throwing him into an environment where he's got DeAndre Hopkins to throw to, where he's got a veteran like, okay, this guy, I can throw to him in man coverage even when he's not all the way open yet and he's going to win it. Like, I think you don't want this to be – if when you have young quarterbacks, you don't want it to be a net negative experience when they get on the field. And I think this move is kind of about, number one, staying competitive, but also – You're going to have a guy now the next, hopefully next two years with DeAndre Hopkins to sort of grow and learn. And look, Hopkins has been a little bit of like a man maker at the quarterback position, right? With with Watson and then Kyler Murray. And I think the Titans are hoping they can catch some of that here with Will Levis. I think that's a big part of it.
0: I just, and from Nuke's perspective, like, what are we doing out here, bro? (laughs) Like, come on, man. Like. I just yeah. don't get it. You know, like, hey, listen, I mean, I I get that, you know, the, this deal could reach up to I think $15 million is what they were reporting per year, right, with the incentives mm-hmm. and all that stuff built in. And, you know, the Chiefs probably couldn't get there. I mean, I don't even know if the Chiefs yeah, could get no double digits, right? Okay, so fine. The Bills can't get to double digits, you know, whatever it might be. But I, get, I just go back to you get the playoff, you know, bonuses. You get, you know, endorsement deals that are not going to be available, available to you on a bad team. I don't get the move for DeAndre Hopkins. Plus, aren't you you gotta be tired of playing like for these kind of teams, man? Like, how are you not sick of this? How are you not sick of this, man? Like, I don't get it. Anyway, okay. Again, I think
1: I think that the Titans and Hopkins probably views them like the other option I think that was gonna pay him, because here's the deal. I think that Hopkins looks at it. You know, he said this on Twitter recently that he thinks he could play another 10 years. Okay, he's probably wrong, right? He's yeah. probably not. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's, no, 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 let me say that again. He's definitely not playing another, like, 10 <laughs> years or whatever he said. But right. I, I do kind of, again, I think his game could age well because it's so much based on technique and timing and also, you know, just being dominant at the catch point. That's, like, he's probably not going to be peak version deandre hopkins or anything close to it in three years but i think he could still be a relevant nfl player in three years um again sort of maybe even like an anquan bolden type like bolden played Mm -hmm. forever and he was not even close to the same player he was at his peak but he was still a very very useful player i think hopkins looks at himself in that mold like hey if i hit the market again in two years after making my money right now because you're right he was not gonna make money with the chiefs i don't even really think the bills were if they were ever involved in this, I think they got right. uninvolved pretty quickly, especially because yep. my theory is that some of the, like, recruitment of Hopkins, you know, there might be a reason why Stefan Diggs is is like, what do we need DeAndre Hopkins for? We have me. I'm one of the best players in the NFL. Like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> There's other things to figure out beyond, like, let, let's, let me share a target tree with a guy in DeAndre Hopkins who's going to command a bunch of targets, so – I don't think they were really ever in it, but I think Hopkins in his mind, whether this is true or not is saying I can make my money now. Cause you know, what helps losing is, you know, if this team's even gonna lose is getting paid. Right. Uh, you know, and the other option that was probably giving him serious money was the new England Patriots. I think the Titans are closer to the Patriots. I think they're in a much easier division than the Patriots. They could be playing in playoff games, probably more likely than the Patriots are playing in playoff games, considering they got to go to war with the bills, the jets and the, and the dolphins and then okay i do this this year or two years in tennessee my last time to really cash in on my name and the player i've been and okay
0: i'll go play for the chiefs in two years
1: basically is how i think that <laughs> Hopkins looks at it. that. maybe doesn't play out that way but i think that's probably yeah. how he's thinking about it
0: or or even i wonder we got to get the contract details i wonder if he can get out of there after one year and then test the market again i don't know that that would be interesting to see <laughs>
1: It's reception, reception, the show now. James Cole and Matt Harmon.
0: So that that's Nuke, and, and we know Nuke as this outside X receiver. He's been a force there his entire career. Um, Traylon Burks played outside about eighty percent of the time for the Tennessee Titans. But Matt, you've brought up a great point that you actually feel like he profiles better as an inside wide receiver. The addition of Nuke Hopkins to Tennessee, how might that impact Traylon Burks?
1: It's a great man. It's a it's a it's a key question, I think, because and and I think the biggest thing is how are they going to line these two players up? Man, that that again to me is is the big key here because if you look at like one interesting wrinkle that I haven't seen enough people talk about is in not not only does Mike Vrabel have history with DeAndre Hopkins uh, because he was coaching in Houston when Hopkins was playing there. Um, he also, Hopkins, has history with the offensive coordinator in Tennessee, who's Tim Kelly, who used to be offensive coordinator for the Texans mm-hmm. in 2019 uh, when DeAndre Hopkins obviously had his last year there. And if you look at DeAndre Hopkins' alignment data in reception perception, uh, he had a 31.2% slot snap rate in 2019. That is the highest of any season that I've sampled, his lowest uh, rate of being outside um, he was still on the line of scrimmage a ton he was still playing a good bit of x receiver but again that slot alignment was his highest it's even higher than it was last year in arizona when people pointed out like cliff kingsbury you know um, famously unflexible with his alignment actually started getting <laughs> hopkins right. a little bit of slot snap rates and and that first game back especially i think it was against the saints hopkins just went kind of nuts as a, as a slot receiver in that and i think that anytime we're looking at a veteran who might have some, you know, he's getting slower, he's losing some juice, moving him in the slot is kind of productive and a proactive way to get around some of those aging concerns. So I want to, I am going to file that away about Hopkins and his history with Tim Kelly here and playing a lot of slot receiver there. That yeah. might be a key. But yeah, if I knew if I knew where they were going to line up Burks and I knew where they were going to line up Hopkins right now, and this is easy to say, but I would feel so much better about Burks than, than I would, you know, thinking he's, I just don't think he can play X receiver in the NFL. Mm I don't think he can play X receiver and win on a route by route basis and be consistent. Even if obviously he's a developing player, what we saw from Burks as a rookie, it just, He can run slant routes, 86.5% success rate. That's really good on slants. He can run crossing routes. He can run digs, 79.2% success rate. But 23rd percentile success rate versus man, 24th percentile success rate versus press. I just don't think we've seen enough from Burks to think that he can be a full-time starting X receiver. So I kind of want to see both of these guys do a little bit of slots stuff. The reality, though, is that I think – Neither one of them will be a full-time slot receiver because this is still a team I think that's going to run out two tight ends. Chig Oconquo, who's a really exciting, you know, second-year tight end, he probably yeah. needs to be more of like a move uh, tight end, like you know, more of a, a not a gadget player, but a guy that you want to get in space. I think that's yeah. going to really limit the amount of, and you know, her, they'll probably still play with a more traditional tight end as well because Chig is not a big guy; he's not going to be a big-time blocker. So I don't know, man. I'm, I am I really would love to know who's going to be the flanker, who's going to be the slot, taking more slot snaps, because it would make me feel a lot better about Traylon Burks. But I, I just think you can't spin this as anything but like a – yeah, that, if you think Burks was ready to be a wide receiver one based on what you saw from him as a rookie, I think you were – you were wrong. And I think the Titans kind of confirmed that, 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 yeah, he's not ready to be that guy and they needed a real wide receiver one. And whatever Hopkins has left, if he's the player that he was the last two years, he's much more suited for that role than, uh, than Traylon Burks is at this point.
0: Well, I think what I, I like about the move too, is the fact that let, let's get Traylon Burks moving around the formation. Yeah. I think a little bit would probably be the right call. Last year he played again, eight, about 80% of his snaps were out wide That's probably just not enough uh, in terms of playing inside, right? Like they need to kick him inside just a bit more. Uh, This move certainly will help facilitate that. Um, If he's more of a 50-50 like flanker slot player, Matt, I think you would feel a lot better about that, right? New Hopkins playing outside maybe like 80% of the time, maybe kicks inside 20% of the time. Um, But can they get get Traylon Burks moving around the formation? I just think he's a player – and his zone scores would tell you this, too, is that he's not very good against zone coverage as well. Um, but you just need to get the guy in space, you know, and just yeah. let his big body move. Um, and if you can get him moving, that's pretty good. By the way, again, Derrick Henry, uh, obviously a phenomenal athlete, generational type of athlete. And then Chico Conquo, who you mentioned, you know, 6'2", 240 pounds. This is a guy that ran a four five two forty. 240. Um, with a 35 and a half inch vertical verts, you know, whatever, whatever's, but at four five two at 240 yes. is is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, you turn on his Maryland tape too, and it's like, no, this this that's how they use this guy at Maryland. The Terrapins were throwing this guy the ball as a move tight end, almost as a, a really as a wide receiver, you mm-hmm. know, as a matchup nightmare um, for, for Maryland. So I'm just pointing out the fact that they've got some athletes now. And then you've got that veteran presence in Nuke. Matt, you asked me off the top, like, yeah, you know, how do I think his a- game is going to age? I think it's – look, I don't think he's ever really beaten guys with athleticism. It's not like he's a burner. Uh, nope. It's not like this guy jumps out the gym. Uh, he's not a huge body. He's just beating you with technique and, and just unbelievable hand-eye coordination. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that necessarily goes away as quickly – Uh, for a player uh, as speed does or as strength does. You know what I mean? So I think that's why when you say his his game's going to age pretty well, I would agree with you 100%, man. His hand-eye coordination is just unbelievable. The timing of his jumps is unbelievable. It's not that he's got a 40-inch vertical. It's just he knows exactly when to jump to get to the peak of his jump at the exact right time, and most guys don't know how to do that. So um, to me, I just think you know you talk about the handout coordination and those type of things. His his, his game will age gracefully, uh, will New Hopkins, and I think it will allow guys like Chig, like Traylon Burks, to just be more natural athletes, uh, catch the ball in space, and get out there and run.
1: Yeah, I you know you d- d- don't ever compare prospects to Anquan Bolden. That drives me nuts when people do it during draft season because like. Mm-hmm. Anquan Bolden is much like your guy Deshaun Jackson, where I think he's just a one of one. And when people start, you know, throwing those com- like people comparing Jalen Hyatt to D- Deshaun Jackson this past year, uh, I-, I, do- I do not no. think so. Um, <laughs> typically, whenever you see an Anquan Bolden comparison, it's like, right. yeah, draft analyst A likes player B. And, but th- this player slow and doesn't separate. So they'll be, they'll just saying they're going to be Anquan Bolden, but uh, <laughs> that's usually how it goes. However, I think in this instance, the Anquan Bolden yeah. comparison is um, pretty, pretty, pretty accurate. I think pretty fitting Bolden played until he was 36 years old. That's Again, another great. guy that was, was never based on athleticism or speed, or certainly once he got to like the Ravens in 2010, we sort of saw those drop off. Uh, but you know, you look at, Anquan Bolden, you know, again, 800 yards, 800 yards, 900 yards, 2000 yard seasons with the San Francisco 49ers in 13 and 14. And then I, by the way, I did not, I do not remember that Anquan Bolden played with the Detroit Lions in 2016. Um, Forgot that that is a thing that that happened. I don't I, remember, I don't that, remember that. that at all. But he had eight touchdowns on 95 targets. Like, what? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, what? Uh, <laughs> allegedly, this is a team that that existed. Uh, Golden Tate uh, had 1,000 yards wow. on that team. Marvin, Your boy wow. Marvin Jones had 930 yards with that yeah. team. And then, yeah, Anquan Bolden in there That's with crazy. a team high, eight touchdowns um, that season on 95 targets when he was 36 years old, his last year That's playing crazy. football. And I feel like that's sort of, again, that's why I think Hopkins thinks he's going to get to the market, you know, maybe with a contender in a, like a, like a can't, I mean, like, I'll am i play with Patrick Holmes in two years when I'm still playing at this point. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know, by the way, uh, just in the last note on this and and the fact I don't remember that Anquan Bolden played with the Detroit Lions in 2016. The one thing that is kind of funny about this is Hopkins with the Tennessee signing is like, I mean the laundry list of bad bets at the tail end of their career that the Tennessee Titans had made at the wide receiver position is <laughs> if I'm a Titans fan, that's what's got me like, oh God, we're doing we're doing this again because you know, obviously Robert Woods last year didn't work yep. out. Um, nope. t- Julio Jones the year before famously Oof. Oof. did not work out you know Oof. randy moss played with this team the uh, after the new england patriots and it didn't work out um you know what, what was uh oh um who's another one that i'm forget? oh andre johnson played with <laughs> it's like you know the the, the, <laughs> the, the titans could field like a, a bunch of hall of famers in titans jerseys and it's like what you know, a couple of years from now, it's going to be like, Julio Jones played that year in Tennessee. You know, we're going to be doing that on the podcast, hopefully if we're still doing this. So, um, yeah, I, hopefully this one goes a little bit better for Titans fans, but I do understand whether there's some skeletons in the closet.
0: I do think, though, that Newcastle, I think he showed a lot more uh, his last year before joining this Titans team than those other players that you had mentioned uh, who I thought were showing yeah. real signs uh, of decline anyways. All right. So how about some other news here real quick uh, before we move on to um, talk about the player profiles for Devonte Adams and Amari Cooper. Uh, but Joe Mixon, he take a pay cut to stay with the Bengals. Uh, randomly, this is the first contract restructure in franchise history according to beat reporter, Paul Denner of the, uh, of the athletic, that's a, a random note. Uh, but again, uh, Joe Mixon is one of these guys that for whatever reason, he has a very strong online following, you know, he's just, but he's always been this up and down player. And to be honest with you, probably more down than up, you know, horrific efficiency hmm. last year, 3.9 yards per carry. Uh, This despite seeing, you know, being on a team where, you know, you've got to respect the pass. You know what I mean? Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Burrow. Joe Mixon should have a run of the place But if he was a great player, but not to be the case, you know. Look, he saw loaded boxes on 27% of his carries. That's bottom third in the league in terms of loaded box percentage. His teammate, Samaj P. Ryan, was just a straight-up better runner than Joe Mixon. Averaged 4.15 yards per carry on the season again versus 3.9 for Joe Mixon. This is what? This was the third out of 6 seasons, Matt. 3 out of 6 seasons he's been below 4.0 yards per carry. And I don't know for whatever reason people really feel like uh, and especially going into last year people really felt like Joe Mixon is like was just ready to explode. I just have never seen that uh in any of the, you know, the games that I've seen Joe Mixon run. He's one of these guys that
1: younger me definitely would have fallen into this uh this thought process where I talk about this with like George Pickens right where he's a guy that people say oh he he would have been you know one of the best he was one of the best Georgia receivers like the best Georgia receiver since AJ Green he was like the next AJ Green but he got hurt and he had off field stuff and it's like yeah but that never happened like he never actually developed into that player on the field and I think Joe Mixon was like this a guy at Oklahoma he had legal issues. He had off-field stuff, and then you sort of start to double count the talent, if that makes sense. Where, mm-hmm. yeah, but if you just figured all that stuff out, he'd be a great player, right? And I think that we kind of fall—we, royal—we fall into that trap with with some like of these guys that have a bit. Well, I'll just call it wayward paths, right? To to the NFL. Yeah. Um, now, I think that you know Mixon obviously different different than some of these other players, but you know he. That's one thing to to note too with Mixon. By the way, is like. He might you know, there's a chance he gets suspended because he has an outstanding oh, yeah. uh 2023 uh, alleged uh yes. alleged aggravated menacing incident where um I think he like you know had a brandished a, a gun at a woman in downtown Cincinnati yeah, yeah. again, allegedly all allegedly. this stuff he said allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Uh so that's outstanding. Like I mentioned, he has a a past where he was suspended, in Oklahoma for with like a parking citation incident where he allegedly um Recording you know, the report used his vehicle to intimidate an officer. We know there's a video of him um like punching, punching a woman me. in the face. Yeah. So yeah. There, there's a chance that he's not out of the suspension waters, right? That's a b- big thing to note in all this. And that's why I kind of like I come back to the it's the first contract restructure in franchise history. Uh, I don't know that this really counts as a restructure <laughs> because the Bengals have pretty much put out all off season. Like, yeah. hey, how this is gonna go is Mixon's either gonna get cut or he's gonna take a pay cut. There's really no, yep. but I think Mixon and his agent are out there now. Like, yeah, Mixon wants to finish his career with the Bengals and the oh Super my God. Bowl, and
0: you get know, teammates have
1: restructures, the there teammates is. have extensions coming up, Jamar Chase, us No, nah, I think they were just like, Stop. we're gonna cut. Stop. Yeah, we're gonna cut Joe Mixon if if he does if if, uh, if if he doesn't take the pay cut. So I think this is more of a straight pay cut, and um, I, I'm not really sure. Like I, I, do, I do understand the fantasy analysts out there who are saying like he's now kind of a value in drafts because he's been if you've been playing best ball, like some of the uncertainty has been baked into his ADP, whatever. But um, I think you can get to a point where nope. you, you know you, I, I don't know, I, I, I think you could take him in like the fourth round or something like that when he falls there. Um, but there's a, still a lot of risk here uh, for a back, like you said, has been a little volatile. I don't necessarily think they have a guy. Just waiting in the wings to definitely take his job, but they at least have like guys they're excited about, like Trayvon Williams. They've talked
0: up. They took Chase yeah.
1: Brown in the draft this year, so I like
0: Chase Brown a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah, these are names to know uh, if yeah. you're playing fantasy and like waiver wires and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm really not sure. I, I don't think. I feel like fantasy Twitter the last couple of days took it as like. Open and shut case. We're now done with the Joe Mixon stuff. I'm not quite sure that we're totally done with it, but I do understand if he gets to a point in drafts, like you take, you're taking a guy attached to the Bengals offense, you know, and that's, yeah. prop, that does tend to work out when you t- take a guy.
0: Attached <laughs> <to the> guy. <laughs> yeah. You, you definitely, when, when facing run, or, you know, thinking about running backs in fantasy, you definitely want to take lead backs on great offenses. That generally will lead you down a pretty good path. The only problem is who's the lead back for reals? In Cincinnati, mm-hmm. yeah. again, you mentioned the, the possible suspension. Again, he's facing a misdemeanor gun charge for allegedly waving a gun, making threatening statements to a woman in a road rage incident. Um, you know, if found guilty, he faces up to six months in jail. I, you and I both know that's probably not where it's going to end up. Uh, maybe he pleads out. Who knows? I don't know. But um, that's got to once that resolves, then the league can come in and say, OK, well, According to the stuff that we've seen here, you're going to face X, Y, and Z number of games in terms of suspension. Uh, you brought up Chase Brown out of Illinois. I really like this kid a lot. Um, not the biggest guy in the whole world, five, nine and a half, 210 pounds. Um, certainly, uh, you know, again, you'd like him to be, you know, in that 215 range to 220 range. That's fine. So he's a little bit on the smallish side, but not too much. Um, what I like about him is that, again, um, Showed, I thought, really, really good stuff on tape at Illinois. He ran a 44340 and he's got a 40 inch vertical. I've always thought that the, the vertical uh, really belies short area quickness and burst. And that's what you see with Chase Brown when you pop on some Illinois stuff, man. Some real short area burst uh, for Brown. Uh, coming out of Illinois. So that's a guy that I've got penciled in uh, for fantasy purposes uh, and certainly will be one of the, uh, I think, most coveted handcuffs in fantasy coming up uh, in 2023 draft. So that's the one guy that I really like. I think Travion Williams is more of like a third down, you know, pass catching specialist. Uh, But this is a dude can be an early down thumper and a pass catcher as well. Uh, Great one-cut running style does chase Brown have. So I, I'm really excited about him. Yep. I th- name to know. Absolutely name to know. All right. Uh, other news and notes here. Just uh, one other one, Jack signed Evan Ingram to a three-year extension uh, average uh, yearly salary, about 14 million with 24 million guaranteed. I just, was, <laughs> I just was surprised, honestly, you know, he's the sixth highest paid in per year money and fifth in guaranteed money among tight ends. And I get it. Like he was productive last year, Matt, but I mean, are you honestly telling me Evan Ingram is a top five player a- at his position? Like I'm not buying that, you know, like he was productive. Sure. from a stat standpoint, but I'll just put it to you this way, man. If Evan Ingram hit the open market and the Jag said, nah, we're good. Like go ahead and get, you know, whatever contract you're going to go get does Evan Ingram approach anything remotely close to this contract at all
1: yeah I, I don't know about that I would say though at, at top five player at his position I mean who else is a top five tight end in the NFL right now I mean you know, obviously it goes Travis Kelsey and then I think there's a, ga- a gap to you know the Mark Andrews the TJ Hawkinson the um George Kittle tier obviously yeah um yeah, I, I, and then obviously, I think it's kind of a bit of a wasteland after that, right? Um, You know, Darren but, Waller's but, still getting but a lot of money.
0: But that's what I mean. Evan Ingram's in that wasteland, in my opinion, right? You got Kelsey, Hawkinson, Kittle, Mark Andrews, and uh, who am I forgetting? Oh, let's say Darren Waller. Let's say you want to throw Darren yeah. Waller into the mix, even though he had a, a really down year last year, right? Mm-hmm. But let's say that's like somewhere in your top five. Oh, you're right. The The rest of it's a wasteland, but it's like – would I rather have David Njoku or would I rather have Evan Ingram? I don't know. Uh, sure. Give me Njoku, I guess. Dallas Goddard, you got to throw into the mix. Yeah, too, I think you know? Goddard's so, better than, yeah. I think yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, for for the Jacks to kind of pony up this kind of cash for a player like this, who, again, <laughs> I just think is part of that tight end wasteland, like, I, I don't get it. But, you know, that, that they wanted continuity, so they overpaid. Yeah, I think they wanted continuity. And I
1: think that this is an offense that, is predicated on a, having a you know a move tight end like this, right? You know we've seen Doug right. Peterson's history at the position. You know you mentioned Dallas Goddard in Philadelphia. Obviously they paired him with Zach Ertz. Um, I think that that does matter a lot. It allows them to be pretty um, flexible because Ingram. I think you know even before like Kyle Pitts was the biggest talking point about it. Like is he a tight end? Is he a wide receiver? Like Evan Ingram was actually doing a lot of like slot wide receiver things before yeah. he got in uh Jason Garrett's offense. And it's like, oh, we'll just put Evan Ingram in the Jason Witten role. What could go wrong? Oh, about a hundred things Jason could go wrong. So <laughs> uh there is that. And, and I, I feel like Ingram's a good fit here. You know, yeah, probably a little bit too much money, but man, I do think you look at this offense on paper and it is you gotta say on paper because there's some risk here, but you, know, you got Calvin Ridley as your number one X receiver. That looks good. You got Christian Kirk mm-hmm. as like a vertical slot receiver. That looks good. You know, and I think Christian Kirk mm-hmm. can play flanker as well. And, and then you get Evan Ingram as like your big sort of big slot, you know, move tight end type. I think man, it, this offense just looks like. And Zay Jones is kind of a do it all. You know, number three wide receiver, probably number definitely number four in the passing target pecking order. This yeah. offense has a chance to be awesome, and it has a chance it's to be X, a tr- not running back. And and Travis Etienne, who's not the pass catcher that people think he is, but is a, a pretty explosive runner with some juice behind mm-hmm. him. It's it's got and obviously I mean hey the Golden Boy Trevor Lawrence I think is is ready to take that leap as well. Like yeah. I think Lawrence can have a five thousand yard passing season, over thirty touchdowns, and I feel like people are underrating a little bit how highly concentrated this pecking target pecking order can be between. You know, Calvin Ridley is number one and probably leading the team in targets. Christian Kirk not far behind at number two. And then Evan Ingram sort of in that like 70 to 80 range. And then, yeah, Zay Jones being a little pesky with probably somewhere between like you know, around the 50, 60 <laughs> right. range. And I don't yeah. think the ball's going to a lot of other players on this offense. I think Trevor is going to push so. it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I really like the way the Jags set up to be both highly concentrated and highly effective. If Ridley is who we think he could be. Uh, and and everybody kind of comes back rolling with the momentum that they had last year.
0: Yeah, and this is an offense that's on the upswing as well.
1: Reception, reception, the show. Now, James Cole and Matt Harmon. All
0: right, we're running a little bit long here, but I, I want to talk about Devontae Adams and Amari Cooper. We'll start with Devontae Adams. Uh, reports of his demise, highly exaggerated, obviously, uh, from Devontae Adams. He still played phenomenal football last year. And my God, Matt, I mean, I. I I was expecting some drop off. I mean, at least a little bit of a drop off, but honestly, I, you look at the player profile, man, and the guy was just an absolute stud once again.
1: Absolute stud once again, and you know, he had a interview with the Ringer I think a few months ago. We probably I think we talked about it on on this podcast specifically around sort of the part where he said he is no you can't call him a product of Aaron Rodgers any longer. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. You know, even a little bit, you can't say that about him. And you basically was what he was saying in his in this interview. And I mean, yeah, his number one is reception perception. Prof- that's the goal of reception perception is isolating wide receiver play from quarterback play and from surrounding. I mean, literally nothing sticks in my in my craw more than you know when people make top ten lists of wide receivers and then they somehow bring in like the quarterback. It's Isolate the receiver from surrounding variables. Come on. Like, what are we doing here? Um, you, but anyways, like with Adams, that's the whole goal with the reception perception. I think you saw in his 2018 to 2021 run with the Green Bay Packers, he was, I mean, absolutely dominant. You know, 99th percentile success rate versus man coverage of multiple seasons. You know, some of the best press seasons ever recorded. And, I mean, look, you can now just lop this next – this first season with the Raiders onto that and say that his 2018 yep. to 2022 run – it's really unlike anything we've ever seen in 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 reception perception history and just like wide receiver I mean wide receiver play excellent excellent you know his success rate versus man coverages those four those final four years in Green Bay 79.5 percent 78 percent 79.5 percent and 79.6 percent number one outstandingly consistent and yeah outstanding some of the highest scores in series history. And then this year with the Raiders, 78.1% success rate versus man. So yeah, right in the same range and right in the same excellent range. He has the second best success rate versus press uh, in his career at 96 percentile, 83.1% success rate overall, still very good against zone. I think he's one of the two or three best route runners in the NFL. Really? The only other guys you can kind of compare him to are Justin Jefferson and Stefan Diggs, who we talked about a few episodes ago yeah, I mean, this guy is – there's no drop-off in his play at all. And, again, I think when you look at his 2018 to 2019 – or excuse me, 2018 to 2022 run, it's just something we've not seen, like, sustained excellence like that. You know, five years' uh, worth of sustained excellence, excellence at the position. You know, elite, elite, top-tier play. It's it's something I've definitely not seen since doing this in 2004, maybe like Antonio Brown, I think is probably the best, you know, kind of comparable there. And, and, you know, man, it's just a great player in Devontae Adams. And he definitely proved that he is not a product of Aaron Rodgers. His, his elite production is a product of his elite play. Right. Hey, in
0: 2021, he posted an 87.6% success rate versus zone. Um, I believe that was a career high for him uh, in regards to your charting here. Uh, And then a 78.6% success rate versus man coverage. Uh, Again, both of those numbers extraordinarily high. We're talking, you know, above the 90th percentile uh, for both of those figures. Now his success rate versus zone did drop off Uh, from that astronomical career high figure from 2021, Matt, but still higher than what he posted in 2020 and 2019. Mm -hmm. So um, again, if there was a quote unquote drop-off, I mean, he's dropping off to his peak in his green days. So I'm not really sure uh, we could really call that a drop-off. And I think a lot of it too is, the verticality
1: of his role with the Las Vegas Raiders. You know, he posted a career high yards per catch last mm-hmm. year, did Devontae Adams, which I think is pretty crazy again, considering he's going from Aaron Rodgers to um right. to, to to Derek Carr there. And Derek Carr is famously not one to necessarily want to push it all the time. But you look at his route percentage chart, Devontae Adams, 80 80.8% 80. Uh, on out routes and 20.8% on dig routes well above the NFL average, his highest run route was a dig was a dig route and uh, very good on those dig routes as well. They just made money in the intermediate area and less so kind of on these quick hitting like flats and smoke routes and slant routes that was really key with his, Final, especially his final year, but really final two years in Green Bay with Matt LaFour yeah. calling that offense here and Aaron Rodgers having a, a tremendous success, which I think obviously you're running those routes, you're going to, your numbers against zone are going to be a little bit higher than normal. You know, again, yeah, we're talking about an 88th percentile score this past year, 83.7%. It's really, really an excellent uh, mark for Devonte Adams. And um, not to, I did I said this in the profile, not to get too off topic here, but uh, that. Uh, the the dig route usage, the out route usage, and the production and success of, that Derek Carr and Devonte Adams had me you know, had had uh, had uh, had on those routes, it has me pretty excited about Chris Olave, another intermediate route running master, even yeah. at this point in his career, you know, pairing up with Derek Carr this year. I think that's gonna be a really good connection. But yeah, I think that's probably the only reason for a small drop off in Adams' success rate versus zone number.
0: And we're talking about a guy who 25% of his routes were deep routes, right? We're talking either (laughs) corner nine or post. So 25% were either the corner nine or post. Um, And for him to then still post an 88th percentile score versus zone, Matt. I I mean, I don't need to tell you that's incredibly impressive Um, because again, zone, I mean, think about what the prevalent coverage is in the NFL cover two. it's it's supposed to take away uh, some of these deeper routes. You know, uh, I, I think I bang on teams for not running enough post routes um, to take away that cover, too. But bottom line is, man, like 4.9% for about- Devonte Adams, by the way, 4.9% on the routes <laughs> of the post routes. Josh Daniels, and, and, come on, man. I know. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. No, but I mean, again, just it's so impressive that he can get go in over the top and still uh, show such, uh, you know, a, a high success rates versus zone coverage. And then go back to that slant route percentage there. Only 18% of his uh, routes were, were slants, Matt. And, and to be honest with you, I thought I was surprised. I thought it'd be a little bit higher for a guy who, again, has been just money in the bank, man, when, when, when you line up Devontae Adams inside and just have him run a slant.
1: Yeah, uh, 90.2% success rate on slant routes. Uh, That that is the highest Calvin Ridley. If you go to the sortable tables is higher than that, but remember it's a five game sample and it's from 2021. So among players sampled from the 2022 season, that is the highest mark there for slant routes. He's also 90.9 percent success rate on curl routes and 100 percent success rate on flat routes. Not running a ton, only 4.6 percent of his total routes, but that's still within the NFL average uh, for for flat routes run and obviously 100 percent success rate. You don't need me or or no damn math degree to tell you 100 percent success rate is a good thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. um,
1: and I think this brings us to the crucial question that people want. Well, I'm sure they're they're listening to this podcast and like. When are these two goofballs going to talk about the fact that Derek Carr is not the quarterback anymore and Jimmy G is the quarterback now? How does Devontae Adams fit with Jimmy G? Well, we know that he's not going to be having a career high yards per catch, most likely, with Jimmy G. Also no. worth noting that, like, we're hoping, we're hoping it's Jimmy Garoppolo, but there is a nightmare scenario where a receiver that I just said earlier is like with a be- one of the best, not just of this era, but I think needs to now be considered Devontae Adams, one of the best. Players to ever play the position of wide receiver is catching passes from the 2023 version of Brian Hoyer. Let's put that nightmare scenario aside for a second and just not even think about that. Try to manifest (laughs) that out of our reality. And like if he's just with Jimmy G here, you know, you look at that slant route success rate. Yeah. That's going to be crucial for Jimmy. The flat routes. I think there's going to be a ton of that and you know i mentioned that he ran a dig route as his highest route run last year in the game sample demonte adams and he had a pretty good 76.3% success rate jimmy g and debo samuel i mean piled up big plays running dig you know with dig routes against some coverage jimmy for all of his flaws is aggressive about rifling those things in there yeah. it's going to be different production but i do not think it's going to be I don't think there's going to be a ton of drop off for Devontae Adams. It's just going to be accumulated differently the production with Jimmy G than it was with Derek Carr. Just like again, let's hope Jimmy's foot works and like we get we get Jimmy Garoppolo out there is, is the hope here for for the Raiders and and specifically for Adams, who just does not deserve does not deserve to be paired with Brian Hoyer at this point.
0: You know we're in a bad spot with the Raiders if we're saying we are hoping for Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> that's when you yeah. know you're in a bad spot Matt
1: is- yeah best case scenario best case scenario other than like minority owner Tom Brady comes down from the rafters oh my God. I guess is the other non-nightmare scenario but also not going to happen uh yeah mm-hmm. it's not great I but I you know I mean you look at like the like best ball drafts right now and people are taking oh, look I love Garrett Wilson and I love Amon Ross St. Brown but man I don't know I don't know about taking, especially Saint Brown. I mean, I, I you know I love Saint Brown, but yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. We're gonna take him over Devontae no, Adams. Don't do it. Don't do that. I don't. don't do I that. don't know that we can do that. Yeah. Just because he's that's this, he's this good, right? He's not good. He's this good. So tough for me to get too negative about a player that's this this good at football.
0: Why the hell did the Raiders? I don't. Why did they let Jarrett Stidham walk? Like. Stidham ended up like going to a rival in the Denver Broncos. You know, you're like, yeah, that was weird. Yeah. He had a, Adams had a massive game with Stidham against
1: the 49ers. It was, I watched, obviously watched that game, charted that game. This was so impressive against a tough defense in that game with, with damn Jarrett Stidham back there. And yeah, that was like a McDaniels guy brought him from new England. And then I know what I think it is. I I think Sean Payton's like, Hey, let me tell you what, Uh, Jarrett, if we get six games into this season and like Russ
0: stinks, you're going to yeah. start for us. So 100%. Um, I think 100%. that was probably
1: a bit more of a selling point for Jarrett Sidham. but uh, weird, just, weird nonetheless. Yeah.
0: Strange. I didn't, I don't know why the hell the, the Raiders let him walk. Uh, anyways. All right. So a, a former Raider, Omari Cooper, Dallas, and then now Cleveland. Uh, you have been very famous actually for saying that Omari Cooper is not, and I want to highlight not one of the best route runners in the NFL um, TV commentators and, and online, you know, wide receiver guys, they, they've said, no, no, no. Amari Cooper is one of the best, but you very, very publicly have fought against that. Um, first of all, explain that stance and then tell us what you saw in 2022.
1: Well, I think the biggest thing with Amari Cooper is that he is a very, very, very inconsistent player. Yeah. Um, and you know, you fan, people that play fantasy know he's like a volatile performer on a week-to-week basis, and and yep. especially like his home-road splits are crazy dramatic, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, right. I think that that's probably a coincidence in just that he is has very, very up and down games, and a lot of them. Maybe there's a reason for it. Maybe there's no reason for it. But a lot of those games tend to come on the road, uh, and, and sometimes you can point at a receiver like being volatile production-wise. Make ah maybe it's on the quarterback, the offense, the system, whatever. I think with this one in particular, volatile producer, volatile player. That's why I push back on the Cooper thing as, as a great router because he absolutely shows those flashes. You see the flashes, right? And people will clip the flashes. They'll show them to you, right? They, mm-hmm. they look at this route. Cooper run. And he absolutely does run some fantastic routes at times, but he has been very inconsistent and very volatile, especially in his days with Dallas. That's where my pushback on him and his reception perception results would show that to you. If you go in the historical database, you type in Amari, you're going to see some pretty poor seasons in Dallas, especially his last, his last year in Dallas, 75.7% success rate versus zone second lowest of his career. Um, You know, one of the lower success rate reverse man numbers. And again, I think he flashes great route running, but for whatever reason, you know, people like to speculate about the effort, you know, whatever, that he's just not that player. So, you know, I'll leave the speculation to, to other folks as to what it is, but just the reality of him on film, when you watch him, when you chart him for reception, perception, not a consistent player. All that being said, James, I think Amari Cooper had his best season in the NFL last year, and I don't think it's particularly close. I think last year with Cleveland was his best season in the NFL, and I, I think it's pretty convincing when you watch him play. And I think there's a couple of different reasons for that. Well, number one, you look at his success rate versus man and press coverage, both career highs with the Cleveland Browns last year. Not elite numbers, but 71% versus man and 71.4% against press. He got his zone numbers like I mentioned to the sec from the second lowest in his career. His final year with Dallas up to sort of his career expectations. And I think the thing that is most interesting and most impressive about this is that, you know, if you look back at his time with the Cowboys, they were using him a lot as an off-ball flanker. They were moving him around the formation. And the Browns, they got him going on some option routes from the slot, some vertical outbreaking routes from the slot uh, where he made some big plays. But Cooper was basically just their ex receiver. You know, a lot of people think like Donovan Peoples-Jones was their ex receiver. Uh, Mm -hmm. No, it was Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper lines up outside on 80% of his uh, sampled snaps and reception perception. He was on the line for 69.7%. And again, had those career best success rate versus man press numbers. It, it, and we can really parse out the detail on the exact reason why, but yeah, I think when you look at the biggest reason is play action is huge in Cleveland obviously with with Nick Chubb, right? And the routes that they had him run, you said earlier teams don't run post routes enough or like these big overs, uh, big crossing routes, like dig yep. routes and stuff like that. The Browns Ran him, and they ran him a lot with Amari Cooper. 14.4% of his routes were digs. 8.3% of his sampled routes were posts. 83.3% success rate on posts and 87.1% success rate on digs. Those really were the keys to him having what I think were such a fantastic season. I think it's a shout-out to the Browns getting the right role. And it's a shout-out to Amari who still was a little bit volatile last year. I think he's still a bit of an inconsistent player. But – played really hard was awesome all year long. And, you know, it's fascinating to think about what's going to be like in the future, but I definitely think last year was his best season.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. The, the two previous seasons, uh, before 2022, he was again, primarily an outside wide receiver guy, you know, uh, but certainly he didn't cross over 70%. He was like 67, 68% outside. The rest of it was kicked inside. And so last year, 80% lined up out wide, Again, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's a career high for him, but it's certainly up there uh, for Amari Cooper. It was just a different kind of deployment for him. And as you said, Matt, I, I thought he really, really came through. You know, you talk about some of the inconsistencies with Amari Cooper. I think some people would be surprised to know he has never, ever, ever posted three consecutive 100-yard games, ever, ever in his career. Mm. As a matter of fact, he only has posted back-to-back 100-yard games three times in his career and yet this is a player that on multiple occasions i believe he's got two different games of 200 plus yards receiving that's the yeah. upside that you can get with Amari cooper is just you don't get that level of effort each and every week now, i'm not saying listen i'm not saying oh he could go 200 he should be able to go 200 every week no that's not the obviously that's not the case there's a lot of different things playing uh into those county stats but a guy who gets 200 plus yards is a damn talented player. (laughs) You you don't just walk into that. You know what I'm saying? But I do think that the inconsistencies in the effort, I think certainly play itself out. Um, You know, when you look at the RP data, when you look at the game tape, whatever, whatever you want to look at, certainly um, I think that inconsistency shows uh, for Amari Cooper, no doubt. And and I think the
1: Cowboys... Look, they obviously misread the way the wide receiver market was going to go when they're yeah. like, ooh, we don't want to pay Amari Cooper $20 million. Uh, well, let's trade him for a fifth-round pick fifth or whatever to, pick. Fifth to the Browns. Pick. Crazy. Yeah. crazy. That was tough. Not great by the Cowboys. Bad move. But I think why they wanted to trade him, why they were done with him – was part some of these things we're talking about the inconsistencies. And I think there were personality conflicts there, you know, there was vaccination stuff there. So mm. um th- th- I think it's, uh, it was easy to kind of criticize the move in real time and it's easier to criticize it in hindsight. But again, I do think some of these inconsistencies are, are what we're pointing out is, is why they soured on him. And I think that's, what's like, I, I think reading Cooper for 23 is tough because, he look, I say he's a super inconsistent player. He's coming off a great year, but if he has a down year in 2023, I mean, I don't really think we can be surprised from an individual isolation standpoint because he's an inconsistent guy. But, th- but they have him in a great role. I love the routes that they're having him run. Like I said, those crossing routes, deep overs, slants, digs, posts. Awesome. Perfect for Cooper. It's exactly what he needs to kind of thrive. You know, they cut, they cut like, the nine route down, they cut the post route down, or the corner. Excuse me, the curl route down with the Browns. That he was running a lot of those with Dallas, and those are like man mm-hmm. beaters on the outside. And Cooper's just never been good at that stuff. So it's like I love the role they have men. in, and I think that the like we talked about the Eagles recently on on the last podcast with Ross Tucker, and I you know I made the point that they are I think one of the hardest offenses to defend because you have Jalen Hurts, mobile quarterback. You got to defend him. Uh, we have yeah. a great running game, Miles Sanders. You know, we got to we got to dedicate resources that. Oh, by the way, we have two coverage dictating receivers on the outside. What do we do with yep. that? They put defense in a real bind. And I think Cleveland Browns have a chance to do that this year with a great running game in Nick Chubb. I mean, I think Nick yep. Chubb is the favorite right now to lead the league in rushing, and he should be viewed that way. You know, Watson is not Jalen Hurts as a as a running quarterback, but he can give you something there, I and mean, he's the big wild card in all of this. Yep. And then I think they have two coverage dictating receivers. In Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore, who you know is a reception perception favorite, and I think could be better. I think he could be a better player someday than Amari Cooper is. Could Elijah Moore be so?
0: There's Bro, I obvious, think vol- gonna be, I think he's going to be a better player next year, just straight up in 2023. Yeah. Uh, mark, mark me down. I think Elijah and I'm just insanely high on Elijah Moore. I've said this many, many Same. times, but I think he's going to be a better player than Amari Cooper straight up next year. And it's not because Cooper's going to be bad, it's because Cooper's going to be good. But I just think. I think Elijah Moore has so much to prove. And I think Mm -hmm. he wants to do that. Um, And that's why I think we're going to see the best version of Elijah Moore working with the best quarterback that he's ever worked with in his young career uh, and working with a pretty good offensive mind and Kevin Stefanski, who I think will be able to parse out the best role and the best routes for Elijah Moore. Um, And by the way, people are still going to be covering Omari Cooper. Like he's the alpha dog. So it's going to be lesser coverage to the side of Elijah Moore. I think Moore's going to have an absolutely fantastic year. I, and I'm with you. And I think that that's sort of the
1: the kind of sticking point here is that not only are, you know, Amari Cooper had a decent double covered rate last year but not super high because you can't – If you, it's really hard as a defense to – number one, double coverage just doesn't happen as much as we think, but right. it's really hard to dedicate extra coverage resources to a receiver when you also need to bring a guy into the box to deal with the run yeah. game and Nick Chubb. And so <laughs> right. Right. that's what I'm saying. Like defenses are going to have a real push-pull between do we send those extra resources outside to Cooper? Oh, by the way, we have a guy on the other side in Elijah Moore who – is great on those intermediate routes that we talked about with Cooper, but can also win over the top uh, more, even more than Cooper does. And well, okay. By the way, we can't dedicate coverage resources to both of them because Nick Chubb's going to run our ass over man. And yeah, like yeah. It, it's, if Deshaun Watson is good this year and obviously, you know, Watson's a tough guy to, to figure at this point, no question about that. I mean, this offense is really set up to put defenses in a bind and be very, very effective this year. If, if Watson's good, if Cooper has uh, the year that he did last year, um, you know, and, and it's just, there's a lot. And if Elijah Moore is like all the way dialed in in the player that you and I clearly think he is that reception perception thinks he is. So there's a lot of ifs here with Cleveland, but they have a lot of upside to be the type of offense that we saw Philly be last year. Maybe not from an overall effectiveness standpoint, but from a, we can put defenses in a bind on a snap by snap basis standpoint.
0: Yeah, I mean listen, I don't think you you'll be the first person to say you're not doing the player A player B comp to Amari Cooper Elijah Moore versus, you know, AJ Brown, DeVonte Smith. We're not No, no, no. 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 <laughs> Although right, AJ Brown that. once famously
1: said that Elijah Moore was going to be better than him. Uh, I disagree I with you AJ. Shout out to you know being a good that, friend you. though.
0: Uh yes. but I don't I don't think so. an former teammate for sure. Yeah. No. Uh no, listen. Uh yeah, it's I mean, when we're talking about coverage dictators, I, I mean, the Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore can be that but they're just not the you know i mean the, the, they're yeah. just not that that level no. of uh, what they got mm-hmm. in philadelphia for sure all right so there you go that's the show uh hey listen um we're going to be back right back at it again if you're you know new to the podcast we appreciate you listening if you would subscribe to the show that would be great go check out the website receptionperception.com. matt's got a ton of content dropping i mean all the time now i mean we're really getting into it uh and by the way quarterback data Will be dropping relatively soon as well. I'm I'm talking like we're aiming for this week, guys. We're aiming for quarterback data to drop this week, but it's going to be next week at the absolute latest. Uh, you're going to see quarterback profiles on the elite of the elite, guys: Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, uh, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. Uh, will be dropping very very soon, uh, and hopefully we'll get you know uh, you know twenty to thirty quarterbacks up. Uh, by the time the season starts. So we'll see. But anyways, we're really close to that. Go check out the website, receptionperception.com. And again, two episodes each and every week on Reception Perception, the show uh, for the podcast there. So there you go. Anyways, that's the show. For Matt Harmon, I'm James Coe. We'll see you.